Welcome to Master Your Money, the podcast that teaches you how to take control of your hard-earned money all while living your best life. I am your host, Elizabeth Heiza, Chief Marketing Officer at the Barnum Financial Group. I once felt powerless when it came to managing my finances and my attitude follows suit until one day I changed my mindset, built up my knowledge, and put myself back into a financial position of power. And I started this podcast to provide you with the same education and advice that I received on my journey. Now, I want to help you master your money. Hello, Master Your Money listeners. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we are talking to two very important board members from Connecticut's Jumpstart Coalition. For any of you who have not heard of the Jumpstart Coalition, I was with you a few years ago, but Jumpstart Coalition for Personal Financial Literacy is a 501c3 organization that's based in Washington. And the coalition consists of more than 100 national organizations with a network of 51 independent state coalitions that share the commitment to advancing youth financial literacy. Connecticut is lucky enough to have one of those coalitions in our state. Um, I am also part of the coalition, part of the board there as well. And I couldn't be more proud to be working with such a great group of people on such an important topic like advancing financial literacy in our children. So today I have Christopher Lee and I have Faye Griffith-Smith with me. Uh, Faye is the president of the Jumpstart Coalition Board. And Chris has been the past president for several years. And he's also on the executive board. Both Chris and Faye have been doing amazing work within Jumpstart for the past 10 years. So I am so excited to hear from them and hear about the state of financial literacy with our kids. This is such an important topic. So Chris and Faye, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Of course, of course. So of course, my pleasure. Why don't we start with, in your own words, tell our listeners what Jumpstart is, because I don't know if a lot of people have ever heard of it. Sure. I'd be glad to start off and Chris can jump in. The really interesting thing I think about Jumpstart is that we are a coalition And we have people representing various areas related to finance so that we have teachers, we have people in aspects of the financial industry, banking, financial planning. We also have people in areas in addition to academics, colleges and universities. We also have people in state government. Um, for example, Department of Banking. And we also have, you know, many other people that we're connected with in various aspects of financial literacy, financial education, financial services. And it's wonderful because we represent different perspectives. And when we come together, I believe we all learn from one another and the, the great thing is that we all share a great passion for financial literacy for young people. And the need is present, you know, more now than ever as mm-hmm. 
finances continue to become more complex over the years. Products and services that are available just expand. And you really need to be a very wise consumer and you need to understand about finances in order to be able to do well with your Mm -hmm. future. Sure, sure. Chris, how about you from your perspective? What drew you to this work? Yeah, and kind of to to piggyback off what Faye said, you know, I think that there's a lot of good work that's being done in the public sector. I think there's a lot of good work being done in the private sector. So Jumpstart Coalition kind of brings these two great parties together and gets them working together on the same page. I think everyone in the organization has a has that that passion for financial literacy and they know the importance of it. So that's what I think Jumpstart does well is unifying and bringing everybody together in the same page is, hey, this is what we're trying to do. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, get all the oars in the water at the same time, working in the same direction. That's amazing. And that's that's a lot. You know, Faye, you mentioned that there's a there's so many various participants relating to finance. And and we're talking everything from banks to government entities to universities. All of those people have different perspectives, uh, you know, different ideas, different wishes. How does Jumpstart go about bringing everybody together to benefit the youth in financial literacy? I think, you know, we've made it our our mission to focus on expanding educators' knowledge mm-hmm. about personal finance. I think that is something that we've all identified as extremely important. There are, you know, some teachers who this is their passion as well, and they've made it, you know, their focus to work very hard to stay on top of what's happening in finances. And then there are other teachers who may have recognized over time that this is really essential for their students, and they recognize that they would like to learn more. And, you know, we very much want to help people so that they can share with their students, their classes, the best information, the information that's going to be relevant for their students. And another wonderful thing is there is so much great curricula and tools available. Jumpstart has a clearinghouse, which encapsulates so many different kinds of materials, whether it's videos or it is curricula or it's games and activities. There is so much available. And the fabulous thing is much of it's available for free. So Jumpstart at the national level does have this clearinghouse. It's available to anyone. Oh, that's amazing. I don't think I knew that. So we can put that a link to that site in the show notes. So if folks want to go there and grab some of those resources. Thank you, Faye. Chris, could you talk about when we say trying to advance financial literacy in youth, what does that mean? What are we really looking to accomplish in in the day-to-day world? Yeah, you know, in, in my opinion, is just trying to get these kids more financially literate and, and you know, out into the real world. I, I think, you know, we teach them subjects, science, history, math, and we don't teach them anything about personal finance. And, you know, and then we're sending them out into the world and, you know, <laughs> out to fend for themselves. And we're making a conscious decision at that point saying, hey, we're not going to teach them. And then they're out in the real world. And, you know, there's a few moments, big moments in your lives where we're going to confront specific decisions that have massive consequences. 
uh, taking out a mortgage, taking out a student loan. And, you know, if we're not getting them ready for these big decisions, it can have major ramifications down the road um, and decisions that they make, whether it's a job selection or, um, you know, uh, putting off a marriage or whatever, just just tons of, of implications with that. So, you know, I learned at a young age just the importance of that. I mean, when I was in college, kind of got me started was, you know, everybody, you know, back in the day was credit card. Yes. And that was the yes. thing. I remember That's my just what I was thinking. Thinking about that's it. You know, I'm going to make, I'm going to make, you know, hundreds of thousands when I graduate. So I thought, yes. and, uh, you know, oh, it'd be nothing to take out a, a credit card for a thousand, 2000, whatever. And, you know, when I graduated college, I ended up having, it was like $7,000 in, in credit card debt. And um, it took, it took several years to, to pay that down. And I was a yeah. finance major. It wasn't, yeah. I wasn't, uh, you know, handling all this stuff and I knew about it, but you know, Compound interest and the way oh, they calculate the interest on the credit cards and, you know, what the minimum payments are. And it, and it did. And it changed it changed my life for a while. Some decisions that I made and it was definitely a struggle more than it probably needed to be <laughs> just because I wasn't educated as, as to what I was doing. There. Well, you're definitely not alone in the world and you're definitely not alone on this call. As you were talking, that's all I kept thinking about was my experience was the same back in college in the rotunda where all the students gathered. There'd be credit card companies weekly giving out a free towel if you signed up, a free water bottle if you signed up. And we all signed up and we all left with this really bad debt. So when we talk about what Jumpstart does, the goal is to help kids. And I'm thinking, what, like kindergarten through high school, understand how to manage their personal finances, understand how to take care of themselves financially. Right. Is that what we're really referring to here when we strip away a lot of the a lot of the big words and and a lot of the what we do at, at the government level? We're really trying to protect kids for when they get money in their pockets. We want them to do the right thing with it. I'd even like to add in college age students or young adults. Sure. Because at the point that they really are going to be making a lot of those decisions, I think, you know, where there's opportunity to reach them a little easier, perhaps if they are in college to try to share that information, but also young adults who may not be in school. It's important to reach them with this information as well. It's such a critical time. Yeah, I know. And I I agree with that. I, you know, I piggyback on that stuff. You know, I think there's some things, you know, we can start integrating at younger ages. And, you know, there's certainly we start talking about paychecks and taxes and withholding. And, uh, you know, I've taught that to freshmen in high school and they they don't understand that because they're not working yet. So some of the stuff does pertain to juniors and seniors as you go through. But, you know, whether it's compound interest or the power of saving and just the importance of that, yeah, can be started uh, at a younger age all the way through. Yeah, I have a young family and we're in the phase of needs and wants, right? What is the difference between a need and a want? And what's the difference between their money and and our money, right? My husband and my money. That's always a conversation in our house. Can you both share what is the state of financial literacy education in the public school sector right now? How do educators or educational institutions, what's their general feeling? about Jumpstart, the work that you do in providing this education? So nationwide, I mean, well, let me start here in Connecticut. So, you know, originally we had 90% of the schools in Connecticut were offering a personal finance course in the high schools. 
uh, which was great, but those classrooms get limited. So the kids, you know, you can only sign up 30 kids per class. Maybe you only have two or three teachers, depending on the size of your school district. So that was a struggle just because we had a lot of kids that were turned away that wanted to take a personal finance class as an elective, but they weren't able to just because of the class sizes. So Connecticut, like I said, was great in offering these classes, but they just it just wasn't affecting all the students. So that's what Connecticut was doing prior to this year. So nationally, we've seen this trend. If you go back 20 years ago, there were four to five states that had a personal finance graduation requirement. Graduate high school, you need to take a personal finance course. Fast forward to um, this past year, 23 schools now had a graduation requirement to graduate high school. Four more states have joined this year in 2023, uh, which is West Virginia, uh, Indiana, Minnesota, and now Connecticut. So Connecticut just passed that for the class of 2027 for a half a credit class to take a, per it's going to be a graduation mm -hmm. requirement to take a personal finance course. That sounds amazing to me. Faye, would you consider that progress? Oh my goodness. We have wanted this for so, so long and it's exciting. Um, so many years there has been a bill here and there, and it's, you know, didn't make it to be voted on this year. It's just extremely exciting. And I think one of the things that was interesting this year is to hear from students. I think more and more students recognize that this is an important part. This needs to be an important part of their education. And they are speaking up and asking for these classes and sharing why it's important. We can we can say those things, but hearing from students is just phenomenal. And they have a real passion for it. They know that they need it. And that has been very exciting, I think, for all of us. Um, like I say, it's it's been a really long time coming. It will be interesting to see how this will all roll out. But it's wonderful that we are at this point. And, you know, one of the key things I would think is to make sure that within this education that's provided, that we do a great job of covering things like student loans mm. so that students have a really solid mm -hmm. understanding of what it means when you take out a student loan, what your options may be, how much you're likely to earn when you graduate. And how does that compare with a student loan amount that you might be dealing with? So very practical information and so important. I, I love that, Faye. And you brought up a really great point about students being more boisterous with wanting this type of education and information. You know, I'm interested in both of your perspectives. Do you think that the typical student is just more educated today than 10 years ago because of the content, all of the content that's available, you know, that on their phones every day, everything that they're looking at every day, all the influencers that are out there talking or spending or showing? Do you think that has to contribute to how they make decisions and why they want this information? I think that there's a lot of information out there. My concern is that a lot of what I see isn't always as accurate as it really needs to be. If um, certain aspects, let's say, of credit cards aren't all explained, 
giving part of the message and not giving the full message, you know, I think that's that can be a concern. So, you know, sometimes influencers are very knowledgeable and other times they may know part of the information, but not the whole story. So I think that though a lot of information is available today, and there certainly is a lot of good information, you do need to take care and check and see is the information I'm receiving from this source also matching up with these other sources? And, you know, who are the credible resources for this information? So that is an issue. There's a lot of information out there, but is it all helpful? Accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. How about you, Chris? Yeah. So, you know, I think having this Connecticut mandate is going to help a little bit. I, I think there was this disconnect. Charles Schwab had done a study uh, several years back. And what they found out was that um, 90% of parents thought that all their kids learned everything from financial literacy in the schools. Mm. But what we found out was when they asked the kids, 90% of what they learned in financial literacy was from the home. So, you know, here the parents think they're talking about in school and the kids are getting ideas from their parents, which may or may not be a good thing. Yeah. You know, most kids will follow what their parents do. So, um, you know, um, I'll give an example. So, you know, what they're trying to break the cycle is, you know, the, these paycheck places that, you know, charge 15, 20 percent to, to cash your paycheck where, you know, they found out that most of the kids, you know, eight, nine out of 10 kids will follow their parents and continue to use these check cashing services instead of getting banked. So that's part of the unbanked problem that we had. So so that's part of the financial literacy issues that we have is that these kids are repeating the trends of their parents and how do we break that cycle? You know, and hopefully some of that stuff can come from the schools, you know, but it's also given the parents some ideas of the, hey, let's help the parents out. What are some things that they can do uh, at home with the kids? And, you know, for some of your listeners out there, maybe they have young kids or young grandkids, I'll give you a couple ideas. And, and actually I had done this with my kids was that, you know, do an allowance for doing some chores around the house, whatever it is, and then set up, you know, three piggy banks and, and you know, 40% goes into current expenses, 40% goes into savings, long-term savings, and then the other 20% goes to charity. And let the kids see it, be in a glass jar, let them see that stuff, let it grow. And then, hey, we're going to take this once a month, we're going to go to the bank and we're going to deposit the long-term savings and, you know, have the kids see that stuff. And, it, and it's amazing how much that stuff really will instill and last on them just by having that. And, you know, even the real world, I think it's really taboo to talk with finances at home. I know it's not always an easy thing, especially conversations to have with, with kids and, uh, you know, there was a story I heard once at, at a Jumpstart conference where they had talked about a uh, mom and dad came home and told the kids, hey, look, we're going to show you how personal finance works. They said, mom and dad make $10,000 a month between the two of us. They actually went to the bank, took out $10,000 in cash, and they dropped it on the table and said, this is mom and dad's monthly income that we have. And they said, OK, I want to show you what happens with this. They said, we have to pay taxes. They took away 20, you know, 20%, you know, two, two to 3,000. Is this a true story? True story. Took oh 3,000 right off the table and said, okay, that's gone for taxes. Mom and dad also have to save for our, our 401ks. We have to save for our retirement. You know, there goes another 15% right off the table. We have our mortgage payment. We have our utilities and, and they went all the way through, you know, and they went into the schooling, you know, we got to buy you guys clothes and everything else. And, you know, I think there was like uh, 250 or $500 left in the table uh, at the end, but it's powerful 
successful. You know, that's the, that's the stuff the kids can see. And they're going to say, wow, you know, 10,000 sounded so great. Yes. The mom and dad yes. are rich. And, yes. and, then, and then when you subtract everything, you know, and I think that's a modest income for here in Connecticut to try to get by in 120 for a husband and wife. It, this is an expensive state. So, you know, it, it was a very powerful story. Um, and, and that shows the, shows the kids, uh, you know. That is a really powerful story, but I can't even imagine it must have been even more of a powerful example exercise to do for the couple themselves, but also for the kids. Um, But Chris, I think you brought up a really great, great point about how you don't talk about finances in your house. I know growing up. We never talked about money, but I remember money was always a problem. It was always talked about in a very negative way. And that's a value that I carried with me up until I I finally started to earn an income and realized I had the power to, to change that belief and change that value. And I'm grateful for that. But yeah, I don't know why that exists. And I think that's part of the great work that the coalition does is to just talk about money more. It is, you know, and it's funny that you brought that up, Elizabeth, because there are those negative connotations that you had as a child. You brought that with you, um, whether you knew it or not. Maybe mm-hmm. there was some, um, uh, you know, self-conscious, that, you know, stuff mm-hmm. that you were doing unconsciously stuff mm-hmm. and, and, and those decisions that you were making. And maybe you felt bad if you were making a certain amount or, or sabotaging yourself. But, you know, all those things are just huge things apart from the real decisions, you know, taking out a car loan or, or uh, as Faye was talking about the student loans and stuff, that's stuff that you can keep with you for quite a while. And it takes some time reprogramming. Yep. And the mistakes and just like you, Chris, I mean, I'm sure I can shake a stick at all of the mistakes I've made financially over the years. And unfortunately, they cost you literally and they usually take a long time to fix. But if you learn from them, then then they're not, you know, they're not as bad. But I think the value of money is a huge topic. And I know you all talk about that in financial literacy and in the work that you do. So Faye, you had mentioned curriculum. You had mentioned that trying to build curriculum and there's curriculum resources out there. Can you give some examples of the curriculum that you are trying to get out into schools that you're trying to have teachers teach? Well, I think the thing is there are so many different types of materials available. There is a lot that's available that is very good. And one of the things I think that's really important these days is that you have a variety of ways to teach young people, you know, whether it is videos or games or different activities that they can engage in where they they really have an opportunity to try things out with finances Mm -hmm. to get a handle on what it really means. Those kinds of learn by doing activities I think are very popular and also really interesting and Mm -hmm. energizing for a classroom. Young people today, you know, appreciate the activities and being engaged and about their experience. So those kinds of things are very good. Uh, uh, Just a kind of a straight lecture is not perhaps the best way all the time, Uh, Mm a short lecture maybe, But giving them an opportunity to really apply the information, I think, makes a world of difference and actually energizes them and excites them. Yep. And, you know, the markets now focus on children or advertise 
to children at the age of six. So, you know, that tween market is that six through 13 year old who have a ton of spending power for an age bracket that earns no money for them to have the spending power that they do is, is just mind blowing to me. So Chris, I'm interested in, you know, you brought up, you gave your children the piggy banks and you gave them an allowance and they had to put it away. I think maybe the more modern day version of that is all these uh, child apps through, through your bank. Like I think, you know, some bigger banks may have an app for children. There's a few different ones on the marketplace that are attached to the parent's bank account and you could send money to your kids accordingly based on whatever. And then they literally have an ATM card. They literally have their own account that they could manage. What are your thoughts on on those? Yeah, and and I do like those. There's some great tools out there. I mean, times have changed. Let's face it. I think you know. I remember as a kid with a passbook savings account of going down. Yep. They actually they, <laughs> they, they took it in there. They put it in that little machine. Yes. And it, would, <laughs> it would run some numbers on there. You know, the, those days are gone. And even so, now with with uh, you know check writing, you know, uh, you know, you ask you ask an 18, 19 year old how to write, you know, to come write a check out, and they're like, "What what do I do?" It's like a deer mm-hmm. in the headlights look because things have just changed. I mean, apps are done online, and and you know, people are paying online directly, whether it's a bill pay or or all the uh, apps that are out there that we can do. So yeah, things have definitely changed with that, but, you know, and we need to change with the times where, you know, again, the old style checkbook of, of writing the register, you know, there's a lot of kids that just don't do that anymore because it's all in their apps and they know everything's instantaneous. So it's a matter of, of changing with that and doing that. I do think getting back to the piggy bank thing, even at a younger age, don't discredit the the power of, and I, and I remember this with my son was uh, seven when we had done this, Seeing the cash, having it there. Yes, we're going to the bank. He can have an app and do all that stuff. But, you know, out of that story, which was important that I didn't share was that um, he had saved up at the end of the year, all of his money for charity. And he had picked uh, a charity. It was St. Jude's that he mm-hmm. wanted to to be able to send that in. And we explained, you know, the different charities, what they did and everything else. And then, you know, we got a card in the mail that came back and I'll never forget this. And this was like a seven years old. He's like, it came in the mail. I was like, look at this kid. This kid is alive and sent the card because of the money that I sent. So, Aww. you know, so just the, the the power of some of that stuff and just showing the value of having that charitable intent, teaching that at a young age with the power of saving and living for today as well. So, um, which is why I love that that way. Again, it's going to work for a younger age versus somebody that's, you know, 15 or 16. But yeah. That is so powerful. And I think you're both saying a little bit of the same thing that you need to get the children involved, you know, physically, not not just in theory, not just telling them that they should give money to charity, but actually helping them choose a charity, actually helping them send the money there, um, that they have to be a part of that process and they have to physically do some of the work so they can reap those rewards. That's really important. When it comes to Jumpstart and the great work that you're doing, what are the challenges that you're all faced with every day? I don't know if you want to take this way or I'll take this. I mean, I mean, some of the challenges that I was kind of surprised about was this whole financial literacy mandate. I didn't realize how hard it would be, one, within the school systems. I mean, you have to understand here in Connecticut, we have 137 board of educations versus a lot of states have counties and stuff. So, yeah. you know, we have 137 fiefdoms here in Connecticut and just getting that through where some schools, 
you know, Danbury has, you know, over 2000 kids in the school versus a Bethel, which is a down the street may have, you know, a graduating class of 100 kids. So different needs for, for what we need for staffing and the different fiefdoms, you know, the math teachers wanted to teach it, the business teachers, family consumer science wanted to teach it. We get pushback from even the the business teachers to say, hey, I don't want to I don't want to teach personal finance all day. If you make it a mandate, I don't want to give up accounting. I don't want to give up marketing. I don't want to give up my other classes, uh, which kind of it made sense. But it's stuff that, as an outsider, you just didn't see. And then you had other departments like the art department saying, hey, if you're going to make personal finance a graduation requirement, you really need to make art a graduation requirement. So, you know, other people coming out of those woodworks as well. And then the whole financial piece of it where, you know, superintendents, you know, once you make this mandated, they have to find the resources which cost money to be able to do this now. So for them, they weren't thrilled because now, you know, it, it's part of it's, you know, if they want to cut somebody, you can't cut math or English, but you could probably cut your business teacher. Yeah. And now with this mandate, depending on where this flows, they've lost that lever to be able to pull if they need to. So I was kind of surprised this whole process, the pushback that we got from everyone. So that was, for me, that was the toughest part um, that I've come across. And um, I don't know if there's other, you know, obviously some other things, but that, that in particular really caught me by surprise. Yeah, Faye, I'm interested in your perspective as well. But Chris, you're right. That's when, um, right, you feel so good about the mandate, but then, you know, teachers already have such a full schedule. So dealing with the helping them fit this in, you know, could be and would be a challenge. So I could, I could see that. Faye, how about you? What, what are, what are challenges from your perspective? I think that the a big challenge is, and Chris kind of got to, to some of this, it's the time that people have, you know, to, to devote to this. There are teachers, and I, I think the really interesting thing is Chris mentioned the different fields that teachers come from. And I think they, you know, that leads to maybe different perspectives in regard to finances. And I think everybody has a value to share from the perspective of their field. And I would love to see us all be able to come together and really do our very best for the students so that they're well equipped. Uh, You know, and I I think there are multiple ways to deal with the challenges of, of making it all work. You know, that there is, this is just so important that we really need to focus on what do students need and how can we best help them Mm. with this knowledge and this information and work it out. And it may look differently in different school systems, but um, we'll get over these challenges, you know, and we'll get over it best together. You know, there's so many and the people who do want to assist, I think, in this effort. And it would be great if we can find a way to take that energy and apply it so that Connecticut students and other students across the country are well equipped to handle all of these issues that they're going to be dealing with as young adults. Yes, everything that life throws at them so they could go out into the world with confidence. And when you have confidence, you tend to make smarter decisions. I, I love that, Faye. Speaking of that, my last question for you both along those lines, Faye, is if somebody wants to help, if if our listeners want to get more involved with Jumpstart and with the great work you do advocating for financial literacy, what can somebody do? Well, what I would say is we would love to hear from them, you know, at 
are different jumpstart organizations. As Chris mentioned earlier, there are many state jumpstart coalitions that you can go to the organizational website and you can find out in your state where your local coalition is and reach out to them because we certainly can use additional help, additional ideas and support. People also might reach out to their local school system to find out, you know, what is currently offered and, you know, if they do need assistance. Also, um, in addition to schools, there are also other avenues through youth organizations that may provide financial literacy as a part of what they're doing. Uh, that's been a really a big area of growth is many youth organizations do provide some type of financial literacy. So you could check with those organizations in your community as well. Also, community action organizations may provide some education. And in fact, um, you may find some uh, on a limited basis, but you may even find in religious institutions mm. that they may provide some type of financial education. Great. It, and I do think, you know, our, our website, ctjumpstart.org, you know, to, as a resource up there, uh, we are a 501c3, as, as you as you mentioned, Elizabeth, and, and for those listeners out there, there's no paid staff. We are all 100% volunteer. As Faye had, had talked about, you know, we're really trying to give all the tools, the newest stuff that's out there for these teachers to bring back to the classroom. That's kind of what we focused on uh, at our annual event. And, uh, you know, fundraising is big for us. So that's, uh, you know... It, it, we don't have any other ways to, to pay for this except for fundraising and stuff. So that's really big. So now we're just raising funds. So the teachers don't have to pay for anything that, you know, we're trying to cover their meals and, and cover their yes. hotel costs for the night to be able to come in and say, Hey, thank you for all the work that you're doing. You know, being in a classroom is not easy these days. And we understand that. So if there's something that we can do as an organization to give back, give them a couple of days, network with other teachers, find out what's working, what's not working, and then get them ready for the school years is what's huge. So that's the kind of what we have focused on coming up next month. Perfect. So the Jumpstart Coalition advocates for financial literacy for our kids and young adults per phase point. Uh, but the biggest challenge we're up against is there's a lot going on in a school day. So we try to make accomplishing this as easy as possible for teachers and for administrators. But to do that, we need support in the form of donations or ideas or curriculum ideas, or just ways to give more resources to these teachers. So all of that information will be in the show notes. If anybody wants to help out, the coalition would greatly appreciate it. Chris and Faye, this has been a wonderful show. Thank you so much for being on. But more importantly, thank you so much for the work you're doing in this space. Both of you and all of our peers in Jumpstart, no doubt, played a huge part in the progress that has been made over the past 10 years. So thank you for all your work. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Master Your Money. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcast. Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Every little bit helps. You can also follow us on our Instagram at Barnum Financial Group. If you're interested in connecting or working with a financial advisor at the Barnum Financial Group, the links are in the show notes of this episode.
All opinions expressed by the program participants are solely their current opinions and do not reflect the opinions their respective parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the program participants are affiliated. Investments or strategies mentioned in this program may not be suitable for you, and you should make your own independent decision regarding them. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You should strongly consider seeking advice from your own investment advisor. Securities and investment advisory services offered through qualified registered representatives of MML Investor Services, LLC. Member SIPC, 6 Corporate Drive, Shelton, Connecticut, 06484, telephone number 203-513-6000.